Just a heads up, today's episode doesn't get into anything graphic, but should be said that we do discuss some mature themes. There, There is no redemption for her in this book. Nope. Terrible through and through. another episode of The Book Isn't Necessarily Better, a library podcast from the Community Library Network. I'm your host, Michaela. And I am Roxanne. And today we're talking about a specific book, but also more of a specific person, Anne Boleyn. Yes, we are. So this podcast, The Book Isn't Necessarily Better, focuses on books and then the adaptations made from them. In this case, we're going to be talking about The Other Boleyn Girl, a book from 2001 by Philippa Gregory. Is this also an excuse for us to talk about (laughs) Anne Boleyn in general? Because it's a fascinating subject. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, it is. (laughs) Because did I go down a rabbit hole last month about Henry VIII after becoming obsessed with the musical Six? I don't know, Roxanne. Have you ever talked about Six to me? I don't think so. (laughs) This is my life now. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to talk about the other Boleyn girl, but we're also going to talk about how Anne Boleyn has been portrayed over 500 years. Wow. Okay. So a lot. Let's go. (laughs) I'm going to start with a quick bio of Henry VIII and his six wives. Uh, You may have heard the famous rhyme that probably English children learn in school, which is Mm -hmm. his six wives. So it goes in order of divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Henry VIII was king of England. He was born in 1491 and he only became king because his older brother Arthur died when he was 15. So this is one of the beginnings of where you get the phrase an heir and a spare where (laughs) the ideal situation is to have well two male heirs Mm -hmm. William and Harry are typical heir and a spare so Arthur died back in the early 1500s and when he was 15 and Henry VIII became king. So he married Catherine of Aragon. She was the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabel, who famously sent Christopher Columbus to, you know, discover somebody's backyard. Did he? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for phrasing it that way. There you go. Uh, In 1492. And so she was, you know, the royal princess. She came to England to marry Arthur. They never consummated the marriage. And she said that till her dying day. It actually was quite romantic. She was about seven years older than Henry. So she was about 23 when he was in his teens. And it was a love match. Yeah, she was going to just be dowager princess when Arthur died and instead Henry really loved her and they got married and they had a really happy marriage for over 20 years. For for a while. Yeah, but they were known to be very happy together. Interesting. And then what happened? <laughs> yeah, so and I, I want to mention, so she came from Spain. So and was Catholic, right? And was very Catholic, but okay. everyone was very Catholic at the time, including uh, Henry. He was kind of Catholic. No, he was very Catholic <laughs> and then things happened. Okay, okay. <laughs> So Catherine's main job as Queen of England was to have a male heir to continue the Tudor line. This was really important to Henry because his father, (laughs) Henry VII, had just been proclaimed king. And so he was only like the second generation. 
Okay. So he needed an heir to basically like secure the Tudor line. Unfortunately, Catherine had many, many stillbirths, miscarriages. Mm-hmm. She did have Mary, who was her only child with Henry to live to full adulthood. And she eventually would become Bloody Mary, mm-hmm. the queen. But that would happen a lot later. So what happens is Henry, although he was happy with Catherine as a queen, he is getting more and more frustrated that he doesn't have a male heir. Catherine is now past childbearing years, and while he's always had mistresses and that never bothered Catherine, his eye starts to turn towards some of his ladies in waiting. Mm-hmm. Her ladies in waiting. Her ladies in waiting. Yeah. <laughs> so he even had a couple of children out of wedlock besides that. He mm-hmm. um he already had a male heir with one of his mistresses with Bessie Blount. That's a wonderful English <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, his name was Henry Fitzroy, so son of the king Fitzroy. Yep. And he, you know, was put in court, but he wouldn't be a natural heir. So he first fell in love with Mary Boleyn of the Boleyn sisters. Mm. And she was just his mistress and he, she had at least one child by him in the historical record. But then we get to Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn refused to sleep with him unless they were married. And there has been a lot of talk about what her motivations for this were, but unless they got married, she was not going to sleep with him. And that started a seven year (laughs) (laughs) seduction saga of Henry trying to get a divorce from Catherine. Basically, he made the argument that because Catherine was married to his brother Arthur, his marriage to her was invalid because of a Bible verse that said any man who lays with his brother's wife will be cursed by being childless. He interpreted childless to mean no male No heir. male child. Yes. <laughs> Catherine had always claimed that she never slept with Arthur, so this is a non-issue. Essentially, Henry just wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Yes. What happened, it changed the face of religion in England. Henry broke with the Pope with Rome. He was excommunicated from the Catholic Church, and he declared himself the supreme head of the Church of England, (laughs) as you do. Good old COV. Good old COV. He finally marries Anne Boleyn. She is only able to give him a daughter, just as Catherine did. She was only married to him for three years. So he spent seven years trying to get a divorce so he could marry her. She had to keep him interested the whole time. They were married for three years. She had one daughter and a series of miscarriages and stillbirths, unfortunately, and she was beheaded in 1536. And what was the supposed reason she was beheaded? Yeah. Trumped up charges that she had slept with at least five men. Mm -hmm. One of them was her brother. Right. And also treason, right? Yeah. So by committing adultery on the king, it was treason. So like I said, one of these men was George Boleyn, her brother, who was accused of committing in with her, which it was revealed later, or it's pretty much agreed that his wife, Jane Parker, had been the one to basically put it in the king's ear that this incest was going on. Mm-hmm. And she recanted it years later when she herself was imprisoned. Oh, for what, Roxanne? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just curious. But uh, yeah, she, she recanted it later. She said it was a lie. But it led to his death. It's pretty well agreed, though, among historians currently that she was probably innocent of all these charges. She was a flirt. She definitely had a mouth on her, you could say. (laughs) She was super feisty. It's pretty much that she was a difficult woman, quote unquote, who didn't deliver on her promise of an heir. And that led to her downfall. Mm -hmm. Conveniently, Henry was already courting Jane Seymour, who would become his third wife. 
They married just 11 days after Anne's execution. Sure. She was beheaded by a swordsman. Uh, so Jane is the king's favorite wife. Hmm. She because? Was, she basically was the opposite <laughs> of Anne Boleyn. She was very sweet, very demure, whereas Anne Boleyn was like super feisty, apparently, right. and like super <laughs> smart, educated, beautiful. Possibly very crafty, depending on... Yeah. Oh, she also has been accused of being a witch. Yeah. <laughs> Jane did give him a male heir, Edward, who would die when he was like 15. Mm-hmm. But Jane died just a few weeks after, after giving birth. So she was pretty much cemented as a favorite wife. Who knows if she would have kept her head on. Right. <laughs> no chance to uh, yeah. be dethroned. Yeah. So after she dies, Henry gets married again to Anne of Cleves, which is... I think the lucky one. She's also considered the unattractive one. Reports of the time say that she actually was very beautiful. But this was a political match with the area that would become Germany. Hans Holbein, which was the famous painter of the time, painted her portrait. And sight unseen, you know, Henry saw her portrait. He was like, oh, yeah, beautiful. I'll marry her. Sure, this is fine. She (laughs) shows up and they're just not a match at all. They never consummated the marriage and they were able to annul the marriage after only five months. Oh. She got out of this deal so wonderfully. So since because it would be an international incident, like if he beheaded her, did anything bad. Okay. He gave her the title of the king's sister. She got her own palace at Richmond. Wow. And she would come and hang out and like they became friends. Dude, lucky dame. So lucky. Yeah. (laughs) Then he has two more wives. So the next wife he marries is Catherine Howard. She's sort of the teen wife. She's seen as sort of the hussy character, though. If you're looking back at it, it's like she also probably was a victim of sexual abuse. So again, wow, things change depending on what lens you're looking through and which historian you're reading. Catherine Howard was probably only around 17 years old to Henry's 49 when they were married. She was one of Anne of Cleves' ladies-in-waiting, so she was around. And she was executed after only about 16 months of marriage because she had not disclosed that she had had sexual relationships before her marriage to Henry. Oh. And then she was most likely having an affair with one of his sort of council members, like one of his best friends. Oh. So she, along with a couple of those men, were also executed. Wow. So what I get from this is that Henry is extremely jealous. Yeah? Yeah, it's not even jealous. So, well, it is jealous, but it's, you're humiliating me and mm. my... So very jealous. It's all about like keeping his like, ego. masculine mm. princeliness. And he was a super hot prince. Um, we <laughs> okay. think of him as sort of like an old... A dowdy old guy. Yeah, but yeah. that was just much later. Like he was considered like a rock star, like the most handsome prince in all of Europe until about after his marriage to Anne Boleyn. And okay. then he fell off a horse when he was jousting in 1536. <laughs> and it's actually thought that this gave him a little bit of maybe brain damage. Wow. Because his behavior gets increasingly erratic. Think about it. He beheaded a queen of England, which had never happened in the history before. Nobody thought they would behead a queen. They think that his personality changed after he fell off his horse and it made him just more of what he was already. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. All right. Wear your helmets, kids. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So Catherine Howard, she was executed after only 16 months. And then he has his last wife, who is Catherine Parr. And she's sort of known as the, the nurse wife. She was just a perfectly respectable woman. She had been widowed a couple of times and by then he was in pretty ill health. Hmm. And so she's seen as like the nurse wife and she oh. outlived him. Okay. 
Good for and her. And she ended up really well. After he died, she was able to marry the man that she had to give up because he had set his sights on her. Oh. So she ends up really well. Nice. Good for her. So it's long, but that just gives you an idea of what happened. <laughs> so Anne Boleyn is probably the most famous of all the wives, but she was only the second one in six. Wow. Now that you have the background, we're going to talk about the other Boleyn girl. So I'm going to start with a little bio of Philippa Gregory. She wrote it and she was born in 1954 in Nairobi, Kenya to English parents, and then she grew up in Bristol, England. She got a history degree from the University of Sussex, worked at BBC Radio, then got her doctorate in 18th century literature from the University of Edinburgh. Uh, she's done some teaching, and she can be a controversial figure. Sure. Do you and have any is... insight into this? Not a ton. I just know that she has claimed many times over that she has a, a commitment to historical accuracy. However... Okay. Yeah. A lot a lot of historians uh, <laughs> seem to disagree. Uh-huh. Uh, especially with this book, a lot of them think that her portrayals of, of especially Anne Boleyn, but some of her other characters as well, are are not historically accurate. No, as she claims them to be. Tell me a little bit about the other Boleyn girl. Is that okay? Are you happy? Yeah, I also just feel like I turn into the comic book guy from The Simpsons, where I'm like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> you did a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So the other Boleyn girl is the most famous of all of her books. She's written quite a few, but this book is told from the point of view of Mary Boleyn who is supposedly Anne Boleyn's younger sister. In accuracy number one, it's pretty much agreed that Mary was <laughs> Anne's older sister in real life. In the book, it starts in 1522 when she's just 13 years old, and the book ends in 1536 when she's about 27 years old, a few days after Anne's execution. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that 500 one years later. So it starts with Anne and Mary coming to the English court. Anne has been educated in the French court, which was true. Mm -hmm. And essentially, in the beginning, Mary catches the king's eye. She becomes his mistress. Very willingly, she falls in love with him. She has two children by him. She's already married at this point. She got married when she was 12. Oh, I didn't know she was that young. So the book starts, she's 13, so she's already married a year. Hmm. Then she becomes the mistress of the king. Uh, So she's like 15, 16 when she has two children. Basically, she's in confinement. So they would put you like basically in a dark room the last months of your pregnancy and Anne moves in and she becomes a favorite of the king. In this book and probably in real life, a lot of this isn't just chance. It was that the Boleyn family, so the Duke of Norfolk, which was their uncle, mm-hmm. and their father, the Thomas Boleyn, were working behind the scenes to basically jockey for power by putting these young women in front of the king. Sure. Because if you're related to the mistress of the king, then... You're rolling in it, right? It, absolutely. Yeah. So Anne becomes the king's favorite. Mary's husband dies. It becomes a romance novel. Mm-hmm. Mary falls in love with sort of a lower ranking man. Country guy. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't manage. And, uh, you know, it works out happily ever after for her. And this was true in real life. Mary did have these two kids and then just kind of faded into the background of history. And she did go on to, after her first husband died, she married this lower ranking man. They moved to the country. And when her family died, her parents died, uh, you know, and then Anne and George were both beheaded. She inherited everything. Mm -hmm. And then her children by the king grew up to become famous courtiers. So she did incredibly well for herself. But in the book, Anne is essentially a sociopath. Yep. She is straight up crazy. I don't think she does anything kind or... Mm -hmm. They talk about unlikable women. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) 
But she is essentially a sociopath. Um, She's completely power hungry. Everything she does is in the service of her becoming queen. She does not love Henry at all. To her, it's just a job. Yeah. And she's very conniving and backstabbing toward her sister. Yeah. Who, in real life, they probably had a decent relationship. Yeah. I've heard from... Yeah, from the documentaries I've seen that the two of them were fine (laughs) with each other. Normal sisters, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so she's power hungry. And then essentially Anne just does anything she can to uh, stay in power. This gets increasingly crazy to the point where she sleeps with their brother George in the book. Mm-hmm. They actually do have a sexual relationship so that she can give King Henry an heir. Supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah. There also is some like witchcraft stuff going on. They get potions from witches. Yep. Which Philippa Gregory says that she totally made up. Shocker. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it does lead to one of my favorite fun facts. What's that? Uh, which is that in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the first movie, mm-hmm. there are portraits of witches and wizards all along the great staircases of Hogwarts, and Anne Boleyn is one of them. I love that. I love it. Well, Anne Boleyn is said to be haunting a lot of places around England. Oh, cool. Looking for her head. Oh, no. Surprisingly. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the book, she is just as nasty and mean girl as a lot of history has portrayed her. Or as the girls from Mean Girl. Basically. Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> there, There is no redemption for her in this book. No. Nope. Terrible through and through. Absolutely. Uh, and it ends with her being executed by the king. You're going to have to clarify this for me because I haven't read the book for a couple of years. In the movie, mm-hmm. Mary takes Elizabeth from the court. Does that happen in the book? Um, yes. In the book, oh. she... Wait. Because mm, I don't think it happens in real life. <laughs> So I thought it was no. weird. No, it doesn't happen in real life. Yeah. No, but uh, her son that she had, Mary's son that she had with Henry, becomes like a close confidant of Elizabeth when they grow up. So he's like one of her closest advisors. Cool. And in the, in the outward to the book, it said that he's her cousin. I'm like, isn't he also her half-brother? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it gets a little... Uh, <laughs> Those English monarchs, man, they've got connections on connections. So that's the book. I didn't realize it was really a a romance novel. I mean, it's not super graphic, but yeah, a lot of it is the romance between Mary and her husband. Yeah. Um, But it actually did win the Romantic Novel of the Mm -hmm. Year Award from the Romantic Novelists Association in 2002. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's interesting because most people, I think, would classify it as historical fiction. Yes. But I... Because of the charges that it's not really historically accurate, and because it focuses solely on that romance and not really on as much of the the, the wider intrigue happening in the court, mm-hmm. I would classify it as more of a romance. Yeah, yeah. After I've read it, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a criticism that was written about the other Boleyn girl. The novel depicts Anne as cold and ruthless, as well as heavily implying that the accusations that she committed adultery and incest with her brother were true, despite it being widely accepted that she was innocent of the charges. Mm-hmm. Novelist Robin Maxwell refused on principle to write a blurb for this book describing its characterization <laughs> of Anne as vicious and unsupportable. Oh. Sorry, I'm taking that quote from Wikipedia, by the yeah, way. That's <laughs> I cite my sources. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, she is a heartless monster yeah. in this. She would have been perfect for the Unlikable Women episode. She would have been, but she gets an episode all to herself because yes. she's fascinating. <laughs> so going on to the movie of this book, came out in 2008, and it is a star-studded cast. And one thing I was happy I saw is that I watched the special features first. Mm. 
before I watched the movie and they talk about the making of and they made it really clear that they weren't following the book. Okay. They were jumping off from it. So it's more of a spinoff. Yeah. I mean, it's a 661 page book and you're trying to condense it into a two hour movie. So I think they did well with the adaptation, but it is super different. Right. Oh, yeah. Tons of stuff different in this movie. A couple of main things is that so in the book and this may have been true in real life is their brother George is gay and he's married to a wife he detests, which is Jane Parker. He Mm -hmm. did detest Jane Parker in real life. (laughs) In the book, he's always hanging out with them and he does have a physical relationship in that like he's always like kissing his sisters but it it seems more like as a friendly brother thing he's just affectionate yeah until the actual incest happens (laughs) towards the end of the book which which they're they're kind of obtuse about but it's clear that it happened right they both sort of admit that it happened right only to give only in service of having an heir in both the book and the movie i think very in line with the men in the family where he he does love his sisters but he is also willing to use them as pawns to gain family wealth and status right yeah and everyone plays everyone against each other but in the book that's why we like stuff about english monarchs yeah of course (laughs) in the book the the three siblings truly love each other Mm -hmm. the reason that this incest charge comes up is because basically he's always hanging out in their room alone with them unchaperoned unchaperoned yeah (laughs) one of the things that's different also is that mary is like a secondary character Mm-hmm. So we're, in the book, she's the the main viewpoint character for most mm-hmm. of the book. In this, and and in real life, she had the affair with Henry first before Anne. In this, Anne is is definitely pushed out there for Henry VIII to fall in love with or be attracted to early on and then makes the mistake of like riding a horse too daringly and he falls off of his horse and so her family is kind of like, Anne go away and we'll let Mary like take your place. Mary's on deck, yeah. <laughs> Mary's not a screw up. She's <laughs> yeah. She'll take care of it. And then because Anne was the first one kind of out there and then is spurned, she is a little more vindictive later than she might have been otherwise because she was passed over by her family and the king. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot is made of Anne taking Mary's place. In the book, Mary really doesn't mind that much. No, she's pretty okay with it. She's pretty okay with it. Um, She first just goes back to her first husband who was okay with it as well. In most adaptations I've seen that she and her husband are really torn up about mm-hmm. being separated from each other. In the book she's like, Meh. well, you're okay with this, right? Because this is what my family demands. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. And In then the movie he's like, oh, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Which is amazing. Yes. He's so great. <laughs> and I love that her first married name is Mary Carey. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's terrible. So, super torn up about it in the movie but in the book, like after the, the king discards her, she's like kind of getting back into relationship with her first husband. They're like, sure, let's give us a shot. Mm-hmm. Then he dies of the sweating sickness and then she's totally cool. Like, she doesn't want the king again because she's falling in love with William Stafford. Who is played by Eddie Redmayne. Who yes, was- a very young Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. This movie is kind of a who's who of famous people before they were really famous. Yeah. I mean, Natalie Portman plays Anne. She was already famous. She and was. I feel like she got this role because she was Queen Amidala. Yeah. She looks the same yeah. in this movie. Yeah, she definitely she does. She really does. <laughs> Especially, like, having a hood over her hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Mary is played by Scarlett Johansson, who is so different than the kind of, like, badass women characters we see her play now. Because mm-hmm. she plays someone neat, forgettable. Yeah, forgettable. Yeah. Exactly. Also, her blonde eyebrows are really off-putting. 
That's a good way to they put it. They dye yeah. her eyebrows blonde. <laughs> and I think they probably also got that because she was in The Girl with the Pearl Earring. She also has very blonde eyebrows in that. She does. So I, I, won, I think Girl with the Pearl Earring came out first. Mm-hmm. And so she probably got... She just kept the eyebrows. Yeah. She probably got <laughs> cast in this role because they're like, she also looks good in period costume. Yeah. And she does. Mm-hmm. And Eric Bana plays Henry VIII. He's probably the last actually famous person who was like famous before he was in this movie. Yeah. Although all I see is Dirty John. When I Have you seen Dirty John? I have. He plays a, a psychopath uh, in the Dirty John series. And so all I'm seeing oh. is, well, I mean, Henry VIII could totally be described as a psychopath. Yeah, absolutely. Other people, other than non-famous people who are kind of in here, Jim Sturgis. Do you like, yeah, where I did know. he go? Uh, he was in Across the Universe a couple years ago. I know. Well, and so then he, he just... was in Across the Universe like a year before the other Balloon Girl. Then he yeah. was in that like magic movie or no, yeah. the card counting movie. Yeah. The now. Now you see me. No. Yes. Yes. Now you see me. But he and sort then, of dropped off the radar. Yeah. He's disappeared into nowhere. He plays George. The and brother. a big difference in the movie is that, and I totally get why they were, they did not think that audiences would be on board, <laughs> is that, you know, um, Anne is super desperate to have another child. She doesn't think that the king will be able to even give her one. And so she tries to convince George to sleep with her so that she can have a child. And they attempt it. And then they both are like, ew. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, sorry. Nope. They just nope their way out of it. Yep. Uh, And in the book... They they don't nope. They don't nope. Yeah. (laughs) I was very confused when I watched this. I walked out of the room for literally like a minute to grab a snack, and I Mm -hmm. came back, and that scene was happening, and I'm like, whoa, we got from like A to... Jupiter in 0.2 seconds. I had no idea how they got there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very confusing. Um, another huge difference that is also really upsetting, I think, mm-hmm. in the book and historical record, there has never been any um, indication that the king sexually assaulted Anne oh, Boleyn. Yeah. In the movie, there is a straight-on sexual assault scene. Mm-hmm. Where he, before they get married, he's like, you're not going to hold out any longer. And then they show a lot, a lot. Yeah. And I'm glad that this trend of like basically sexual assault scenes mm-hmm. is getting less. less popular. Yes. Where it's like, what's something dramatic we can put in? Let's mm-hmm. put a woman through something super traumatic. Well, and especially something that is not historically accurate. It's not part of her mm-hmm. actual story. It's a very uncomfortable scene. I, extremely. Yeah, for me, it was just totally unnecessary because yeah. they did sleep together before they got married when mm-hmm. it was clear that it was going to happen. That it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the book, she's pregnant at their wedding, which she was in real life, but I, it seems so unnecessary mm-hmm. to do that. Awful. It's awful. But the rest of the movie... I mean, there's I, beautiful costumes. Yeah. The thing that I don't like, and I don't know if you noticed this, like the sky, anytime they're outside, always looks fake. But it's, like, real fake, so, like, I don't know if they just, like, filmed Sky and then made it look weird, or if they have green screens, or whatever, but anytime they're outside, the scenery looks off. Well, they were probably filming it in England, so maybe it was, like, they needed sunny days and it gets cloudy a lot? Yeah. I don't know. There's something, there's just something weird about it. Funny. Yeah. It looks wrong. Oh, I will say that a lot of people also 
are not huge fans of the dialogue in this movie. I read, <laughs> I read a lot. What, like Scarlett Johansson's uh, amazing British accent? No. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. She's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but the king. Yeah. And Natalie Portman isn't great either. Yeah. I mean, she's just being Queen Amidala. Yes. <laughs> it's just Star Wars, you guys. Yeah. Star Wars in England. In different costumes. Yeah. There is a lot of long staring as well. Like, just people staring and staring staring and staring for forever. I was trying to stare at you without blinking. I, oh, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, for people who thought this was going to be like a romance film, kind of like a, a letdown in some of the sexual tension. There's not a lot of actual like romantic stuff happening. There's a lot of sex, but not much romance. Right. I guess. And not even like a lot. Even with her meeting her second husband, it's you said you thought it was her cousin. I thought it was her cousin the whole time. I mean, although <laughs> like with this story, could have been. Yikes! You but. never know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was very surprised when they moved to the country together. I also didn't know Benedict Cumberbatch was dead. I missed that completely in the movie. I'm sure they said it. I but. feel really confused because I watched another <laughs> version right before I watched this version, so I don't know if I looked away for a second and missed the scene. <laughs> oh, the Mandala effect. Yeah. It's like, I don't Mandela know if effect. I, like, I think that the scene should have been there. So I now imagine it in my head or if it actually existed. Mm. There's no way of knowing. I've already returned the DVD. Um, anything else about this movie? Oh, Juno Temple plays yeah. the wicked um, Jane Tattletale. Um, Juno Temple is great and also seems to be playing the same character she played in Atonement. Kind of. More or less. Which also has Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see what's happening here. <gasps> oh my god, let's do Atonement. We'll do Atonement Yay! someday. <laughs> There's... Uh, Mark Rylance is also in this. Who's that? You don't know who Mark Rylance is? No, girl. Um, okay. Um, Mark Rylance is a really famous... He's more famous for doing stuff like this, right? Like period pieces. Is uh, he the theater... Duke of Norfolk? Yeah, uh, No, he's Thomas Boleyn. Oh, yes. And he was like recently in uh, like the BFG and Bridge of Spies... He's a character actor, basically. He's a character actor um, who's just kind of gotten a little more famous recently. Mm-hmm. So he, that was pretty cool to see. Alfie Allen is in this for like two seconds. He's the messenger. And for those of you who are like, who is Alfie Allen? He's in Game of Thrones. He's okay. Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. So that was kind of cool. He came on and was like, oh my God, it's Alfie. Yeah. Basically fangirled hard. It was kind of fun. Sweet. Yep. And supposedly Andrew Garfield also makes hmm. an appearance. And I didn't see him. And I still don't believe anyone who told me he was in this movie. I could see him in sort of a, a doublet and hose. <laughs> yes. And some gauntlets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could throw down. I believe it, yeah. Another big difference is the relationship with the Boleyn parents and the children. Mm. And the, the fact that in the movie that the mom gives a hooey about anything that happens to them yep. is amazing. In the book, she has a, the maternal instinct of a cat. <laughs> uh, she really, she does not care. Yeah, no. Um, the dad is also pretty cold in the book. In the movie, they seem very loving. Yeah, he he's conflicted about what he's asking yeah. his daughters to do. No, the which, mom good for Mark slaps the husband for getting them in this situation. No. No. <laughs> no. No, no. No way. Which brings us to some of what we wanted to talk about, which is portrayals of Anne Boleyn in general. Yeah. So the other Boleyn girl was a fun read. Yeah, Um, I agree. 
but one of many, many, many Anne Boleyn portrayals that have been Mm -hmm. going on for 500 years. So that was the most famous Boleyn girl movie, the other Boleyn girl movie. But I also did myself the favor, I guess, of watching the 2003 BBC television film. Mm, Now, I love the BBC. (laughs) Yeah. I subscribe to BritBox on Amazon Prime. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which basically gives you, like, all the really fun... For me, docu- history documentaries. Fun in quotation marks. <laughs> Air quotes. Edutainment. Okay, okay. The other Blind Girl movie was made in 2003, so two years after the book came out and five years before the major motion picture that we just talked about. Uh, it looks like a film student semester project, and that doesn't surprise me. The budget was only 750,000 pounds. It's about a little over a million dollars. It does have, I guess, like a semi-famous actress. Yeah. If you've seen the Truman Show. You know who plays his ex-girlfriend who's trying to get in touch with him? Mm -hmm. She plays Mary. She's gorgeous in it. The girl who plays Anne, Anne should be striking. She should be a Natalie Portman. She should be (laughs) like, you can get the idea that yes, this woman caused uh, a king to give up. This woman. Everything. Basically created a new church out of thin air. Yes. Yeah. By just her allure and sex appeal and Mm -hmm. vivaciousness. Great. This was like they pulled a girl off the street and they're like, you just graduated from acting (laughs) school. school. Uh, (laughs) I just like it's maybe the the most miscast Anne Boleyn I can think of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, she doesn't seem to have any opinions about anything. She gets a little bratty, I guess, after Mm. she becomes queen. No. Nothing like this. A huge difference in this is... Oh, but, but, but... but, Yes, please, but. The king is played by my favorite, Jared Harris. You might know him as Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes. I do. He also (laughs) was uh, in Mad Men. Mm. And he plays a great Henry VIII. I heard that uh, most of this movie was improvised. And that he, Are you serious? Yeah, and that he did a lot of that uh, just off the cuff. Oh, absolutely. I could definitely say that. Mm-hmm. Another upsetting part of this is, so in the book, and possibly in real life, uh, Mary was in love with the king, and mm-hmm. it was a very happy relationship that blossomed after he saw her at court a bunch of times, and this, he just straight up sexually assaults her like mm. five minutes the night that he meets her. Uh. She's not into it. And then she gradually becomes into it after, like, a few times of seeing him. Wow. So, you you have to watch that. (laughs) Do I, though? Oh, and the huge difference is, you know, in real life and in the book, she got married to her first husband when she was 12. And then she was having an affair with the king when she was in her mid to late teens. And this lady is, like, fully in her 30s. Oh, no. Who plays Mary. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, would not recommend Okay. A lot of lens flare and showing that they're, uh, um, that they love each other as children by having them spin around meadows laughing. Oh. Uh, I think they also started the other Blend Girl, the 2008 movie, also I, in spinning a meadow, in a meadow yep, laughing. Definitely. Yeah. And I think they ended that way, way as well. I think the kids, oh, yeah. the kids are out in the meadow in the last shot. Laughing. <laughs> laughing. And spinning. <laughs> and they're like, did you know that this little girl is Elizabeth the First? Do you know what Elizabeth the First did? She was queen. Yeah. Yeah, they do go very, <laughs> very like condescendingly like, 
It's like, didn't you know? <laughs> um, actually, did you know who Elizabeth would become? Yeah. The queen. The queen. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little much. Yeah. Well, now we've talked about the other Boleyn girl. Do you want to move on to the rest of, yeah, the rest of the, the Boleyn sphere? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Michaela, who is your favorite queen? Of the six wives? Yes. Um, my favorite, and I, I don't think this is a super popular one, is Queen Jane. Who, yeah, she's sort of the boring one. Yeah. yeah. She was sweet and did her job and then she and died. died. Um, and it has nothing to do with her herself um, whatsoever. It actually has more to do with the fact that there's this really great song in the movie Becoming Llewellyn Davis where Oscar Isaac sings um, about Queen Jane. And it's about the birth of Edward, I think, is their son. Yes. Right. So she's in labor for a long time. And the song says, King Henry, like, come help me. Come basically give me a, a C-section is kind of what it's asking. But it's like, like, come. He does not have the medical training. No, for that. no. He probably, his doctors had like leeches. Yeah. But it, it's a thing where she's like in so much labor pain and it's, he's just not being born. And she asks to have him cut out. And uh, King Henry. Henry says to her, that's a thing I can never do. If I lose the flower of England, I'll lose the branch too. So he's basically telling her, like, if she loses the baby, like, he's fine losing her. I don't know how historically accurate that is. He truly loved her. Yeah. At the same time. She also didn't get far enough along to annoy him. Right, yeah. To move on. And at the same time, like, he really needed an heir, right? So I don't know how much of that, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Hmm. It's gorgeous. I love it. Um, Would you sing it or no? I would, basically. Like a few lines? Yeah. So it starts, Queen Jane lay in labor full nine days or more till her women grew so tired they could no longer there. They could no longer there. And then it goes on to say, like, will you open my side and find my baby? It's really pretty. Oh. It's a gorgeous song. So and you have a lovely voice. Oh, thank you. It's a little bit Usually when I ask people to sing, they're like, shut up. <laughs> funny. So Queen Jane, that's my that's my cool. pick. Who's yours? Uh, my favorite is Catherine Howard. She was a teenager. Mm. She was supposed to be really fun. I, I feel bad for her. Um, <laughs> She's a pity, pity choice. <laughs> uh, no, I just find her story super fascinating. Okay. Like how many times the adults in her life failed her. Mm. And yes, she was a teenager and there are a lot of different ways to look at her background with the men in her life. But times were different and you can't necessarily judge age. But mm -hmm. there were a lot of failures on how she sort of got where she was in the world. For instance, she was her mom had died. So she was put kind of like in a dormitory mm. uh, with a bunch of other like young ladies of her status. And she fell in love first with her music teacher. Mm. And then she fell in love with she was living with like the her step grandmother, step grandmother's <laughs> secretary, Francis Durham. And then she fell in love with the king. And then she fell in love with Thomas Culpepper. All these people have such wonderfully English names. <laughs> so just basically I just find her her life story really fascinating and okay. how many different ways there are to, to look at how she came to be. But she's my favorite. Okay. Did you want to talk about Anne through time, Anne as she's been portrayed in yeah. other places? So over 500 years, Anne is basically what the current culture wants her to be. Mm -hmm. So in the Victorian era, she was seen as um, as the mother figure 
and as sort of like a pitiful figure. That was the time when men and women were put in very distinct spheres, and at other times, Anne has been seen as a harlot. Uh, she also has she has so many myths surrounding her. Mm-hmm. For instance, that she was a witch. They said that she had a sixth finger and that she some people describe her as like having a big mole on a like goiter on her <laughs> neck. No. Some people say she was incredibly beautiful. Some people say she wasn't. It's hard to know because we only have about one surviving portrait because after she was executed, she was basically erased. They destroyed paintings. They destroyed any marks of her that were in the palace. Um, Save one. There is like (laughs) one thing that the workmen overlook in one of the palaces, and it is like the A for Anne and the H for Henry intertwined. Oh. So they forgot one. Well. But besides that, they erased her. They erased her from the narrative, taking that from Hamilton. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, and that's an interesting point, is that I think we have so many portrayals, different portrayals and like Mm -hmm. radically different portrayals of Anne Boleyn, because how much of a voice did she really have in the time she was living? I mean, are there letters from her? There are some. There there are some letters. We know that she was incredibly educated. Mm -hmm. So she was sent to the French court, which is like a total boon for her family. Right. Because her father was the ambassador of England. So she grew up in this like super sophisticated world of the French court. So we know that she was super learned and she like was a fantastic dresser. She basically was like an influencer (laughs) of the day. Okay. And um, we know a little bit she had like had a prayer book that she wrote things in like I am Anne Boleyn my oh. day will come oh <laughs> um, that's cool and you know there are some letters to Henry but there's not a ton right so so basically everyone else gets to project whatever they <laughs> whatever they feel onto Anne yes yeah. okay even now so mm-hmm. I to get ready for this I checked out every book in the library to like just look through there's even this really fantastic book called The Creation of Anne Boleyn by Susan Bordeaux mm-hmm. it came out in 2013 and it talks about how our ideas of her change throughout the years. Cool. I'm going to go through some of the portrayals of Anne Boleyn on film and television that Susan Bordeaux goes through. So in 1912, her first portrayal was Clara Kimball Young, an American actress, and she portrayed her in a short film about Cardinal Wolseley. She was in a 1920 movie called Anne Boleyn, Anna Boleyn. Mm. Then a more famous movie is the 1933 The Private Life of Henry VIII, and Anne is played by Merle Oberon, who we also discussed in our Wuthering Heights episode. I wrote that one down because I knew you were going to talk about it. So. <laughs> and uh, who else is in that film? Elsa Lanchester. Does that name sound familiar? Nope. <laughs> she plays the Bride of Frankenstein. Mm. Uh, not in this movie. No. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> I would like the to Bride see of that mashup. Henry VIII. No, she plays Anne of Cleves. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, there's a movie from 1966, A Man for All Seasons, and it's about Thomas More and Vanessa Redgrave plays Anne Boleyn. There is a Another famous movie, 1969, Anne of the Thousand Days. Mm-hmm. It's an Oscar winner. Yeah. Uh, yet, I have yet to see that one, but they give her a French accent in that one, apparently, which I think is That's interesting. interesting. I, it probably depends on how much time you spend in a French court. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Then there's a 1970 masterpiece theater, The Six Wives of Henry VIII, which you can check out from the Community Library Network. Uh, then there's the 2003 one that I watched of the other Boleyn Girl, yikes. <laughs> Another 2003 adaptation 
of just an Anne Boleyn is Helena Bonham Carter takes on the role of Anne. And that's what I really would like to see. Yes. In the TV movie, Henry VIII. And then we get to a really famous one, 2008, The Tudors. Did you ever watch that? I didn't. I started watching it. It's pretty good. It has Jonathan Reese Myers and Anne is played by Natalie Dormer, who you have a little more experience seeing her in Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Who does she play? Uh, she plays Marjorie Tyrell, who is one of the top female badasses in that whole show. She's actually kind of very similar to certain portrayals of Anne in that she basically seduces a king to win political power for her and her family and um, is, and then marries. Does it work out well for her? Oh, it, um, no, it doesn't. Okay. Um, because the <laughs> king's mom is a crazy person. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't end well for her, but she is really great in that show. Oh, sweet. Yeah, um, apparently the actress Natalie Dormer did have a hand in helping to shape the characterization of Anne Boleyn and the <laughs> Tudors, making her more three-dimensional. And then we come to a, a recent uh, adaptation of the lives of the King Henry VIII's wives, Lives of the Wives, called Six, the musical. And this was getting really popular right before the world ended. Um, so I hope <laughs> that there'll be some sort of staging of it. Yeah. And it's basically, it's a musical, but it's more like in concert form. Mm -hmm. And it's, the premise is that uh, all six of the wives magically are meeting together. <laughs> and they all kind of dress like the Spice Girls. And they each have a song <laughs> and they're competing with each other to see who had it the worst, basically. Oh, okay. So Jane would not win. And the last Catherine would not win. Yes. And okay. Anna Cleves is like... Yeah, no, I'm not going to win them off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's yeah, great. it's a lot of fun, I yeah. think. It's kind of Hamilton style, right? Like a rewriting of history in song format where certain people get to take more of the narrative than they maybe had at the time. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the way that Anne is portrayed in this is she is super sassy. Mm. Like she talks like, um, she says like, LOL. And there's a lot of modernness, modernity mm -hmm. in this one. Like for instance, Anne Cleves says that she didn't get the crown because he didn't like her profile picture, which I love. <laughs> People either love it or, or hate it. Yeah. I love it. I'm, I actually am kind of in the middle. Okay. Like I've listened to some of it and I'm like, okay, this is okay. But then when they tell me like her profile picture, I am like, I want to throw up in my mouth a little <laughs> bit. Like, so I think it's clever. <laughs> I don't think it's not clever. Yeah. I just think it's clever in a way that is like so tongue in cheek that it bothers me. It's too on the nose. It's, yeah. A little too on the nose. Yeah. So. I can see that the way that one of my favorite film analysis people describe six, the musical is like 2004 feminism. Because at the end of the, the musical, they're all like, we shouldn't be fighting. Let's work together. Oh. And so it is pretty like hit you over the head. Like, it's yes, blonde. we don't need to fight. It is very 2004 feminism. Okay. And I say that so lovingly because I love Legally Blonde. Yeah, me too. But that's exactly like... But yeah. I'm going to take back... All girl power. Yeah, girl power. But also the female friendship network is very important. And it's like, yes, it is 2021. Like, yes, we, we know. We know. <laughs> we get that. We, Yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. <laughs> don't, don't be a, a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Mean Girls would get made today. Uh, Honestly. I don't know. Eh, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to keep bringing up Mean Girls until we talk about it someday. Because oh, my God. Danny DeVito, I love your work. Uh, no. So there's six. Can you think of any other portrayals that I missed? 
Just one that's a little more recent, um, and also probably one we should talk about eventually when I finish the doorstop of a novel, Wolf Hall. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I forgot to mention. Wolf Hall. This is a trilogy by Hilary Mantle. It starts with Wolf Hall and then goes through Bring Up the Bodies, and the most recent one is The Mirror and the Light. Oh, okay. I will have to put that on my bucket list mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I just wanted to mention a few more things. Allison Weir is a really great author. She does both fiction and nonfiction, which I think is cool. She has um, many nonfiction books about Anne Boleyn as well as Henry VIII in general. And she has an entire series of books, the most recent one coming out, ending with Catherine Parr. So each queen or wife gets her own book. Oh, very cool. There are a few documentaries I want to give a shout out to as well. Uh, if you love a history documentary, Suzanne Lipscomb, she is a PhD in England. She has a great documentary called Henry and Anne, and it's from 2014. And she has sort of a, a hot take that Henry <laughs> and Anne were really definitely loved each other a lot, uh, which is pretty contrary to a lot of the other things that we've seen. There is also Lucy Worsley, who in 2016 came out with a miniseries, and it has historical reenactments with delightful Lucy Worsley putting herself into them. <laughs> of it, It's called... Uh, the Six Wives of Henry VIII. And you can check that out from the Community Library Network on DVD. Very cool. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, all the things that we've mentioned today, you can find at the Community Library Network, or we can get it for you through Interlibrary Loan. So I hope you'll check them out. And this is us signing off. This has been the podcast. The book isn't necessarily better. I'm your host, Roxanne. I'm your co-host, Michaela. And we'll talk to you next time. gonna do a quick test we are also yeah we're just testing make sure we're just testing his father had just started the tuner di- dynasty <laughs> what I dynasty <laughs> Ooh, spicy